And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's The Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who's always wanted to take a kid to college. Hi, folks, and welcome back to the Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And boy, is it ever beautiful here, and not on the island of Milleronia. And I'll tell you why. It has something to do with a kid at college, but I'll tell you soon. It's just gorgeous here. It's been so hot here on the mainland in Southern California and crazy hot. I mean, not funny hot, not even joking around hot. Not, there's there's no, it's hot. There's hot and then really hot and then, oh, come on. And this is like Iraq hot. And uh, not with all the laughs, of course, but, you know, it's it's very, very, very hot. But it feels wonderful, and to hear that music, oh boy, it gives me and Colonel Jeff just a, a great feeling, and that is no kidding around. And of course, that's the J. Thomas Orchestra and the Jeannie Rousseau de Clarence Dancers, featuring boy tenor Edward Starkman asking the musical question, is it true that Ducks once had a union and its first president was Mallard P. Fillmore? Well, you know what, Edward? That question is so sweet and witty. The only answer is yes. It absolutely is. Sometimes there are questions like that, folks. And the answer with a big smile is just yes. And Colonel Jeff agreed with me on that one. So you know what, Edward? Is it true that Ducks once had a union and its first president was Mallard P. Fillmore? Yes. In fact... Colonel Jeff and I were so so smiley and happy about that question, we actually spent a couple of minutes trying to think of another one with ducks. We couldn't come up with one. And, and by the way, please send one if you do. Everyone out there, we said, oh, what are the feathers called? The duck down? And we looked for something to make a pun or a word a word trick on with a, you know, about the, the webbed feet or the, what's the Disney duck and who's the, this, there's Daffy Duck, which, that's how good the question is, Edward. So thank you for it. And by the way, there are two good reasons why Jay Thomas was leading the orchestra and why Jeannie Rousseau de Clarence was leading the dancers. First of all, Jay Thomas is uh, someone I've worked with, and uh, he was a, a radio host at his own show and then became a comedian and was an actor in many movies and television shows, and he passed away recently. And you know what? That's always good to think of someone like that as a brother forever. So when someone in show business dies, that's the way I think of them, as a brother or sister forever. Good work, Jay. And Jeannie Rousseau de Clarence. What a lady this was, folks. And you should all nod and smile when you hear. She was 98 years old. And she was, well, she was French. She was born in France and lived in France. And she was a member of the French Resistance. 
She was a spy and got so much information about German rocket programs, and this was very important stuff, and she'd pass it on to her superiors, and she really saved a lot of time and a lot of lives, and she did really, really well in dangerous work. And perhaps not surprisingly, she was eventually found by the Germans, and she was arrested and she was put in three different concentration camps and got out and escaped and then came back and then they, they, they caught her again. And this is really someone worth, well, saluting. Jeannie Rousseau de Clarence. And she's passed on now at 98. But boy, Jeannie, you really did it. And you were a great agent and a great soldier. So, good work. And by Amazon. That's right. Amazon. Oh, folks, you know what? This is still one of the best companies in the world. Amazon, where you can get anything you want, except, of course, a real Amazon. And I have said this before, not for a while, but if you if you order something from Amazon and a really tall, muscular, gorgeous woman comes to your front door and rings the bell, and you open that door and you see her there, call us first. Do not do anything stupid. Do not do anything you think you might be, well, sorry for later. Call me and Colonel Jeff. We will do the things we will be irresponsible for later. But uh, don't worry about that now. Amazon, oh, what a great group. You can get them anywhere. Go, you can go anywhere on a computer, or a, you know, a laptop, an iPhone. It doesn't matter. But don't do that either. Let us take you there. Go to our website first, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> that last sound always gets me. It's really, you want to get up from your chair and say, what in the world? How did... Well, I... I I think I had too much sriracha on that burger. In any case, uh, go to our website. and We have a banner that says Amazon, and we'll get you there. Just click our banner, then go take a nap. Go get into your big lazy boy chair and, and kick those legs up. You can make yourself a sandwich and, oh, a soda or a beer with it, but the truth is you might just fall asleep, and that that's probably the best thing ever. But to do that. Amazon can, uh, you know what? They do three things that no one else does, first of all. This is so important. One, they have whatever you want. They, they can order whatever you want. They'll get you whatever you whatever you ask for. And two, they already have it. They don't even have to write out for it or call someone else or borrow it. They already have it the second you order it. And it's in one of those giant warehouses like from Indiana Jones that's a mile long and a mile wide and a mile high and a mile deep. It's the mile deep that gets me on that one, by the way. And uh, you know what, though? They have everything already. And number three, they send us some money. They send us here at the show, at the Larry Miller Show, they send a percentage of whatever you order. And we, of course, take that, goes right into a big steel box where we keep that money for our next big fancy fried chicken dinner and two drinks beforehand in a different place. And boy, oh boy. So that's quite a company. 
And they have found quite a show to be sponsors of. Thank you, fellas. And, uh, well, as always, that means a lot. And that brings me to my first, well, the favorite part of the show. The joke of the week. This is this is fun, too. I say this. I've said it before, and it's just the truth. To pass on a good joke to anyone, to you, to all of you, and then if you like it, you pass it on to your family and friends or loved ones. Just passing on a good joke is a real blessing, and I'm glad to do it to you with this one. Uh, an elderly, handsome, well-dressed gentleman uh, walks into a jewelry store, and he's got his new, new girlfriend with him, and she's in her early 20s, and she's blonde, and uh, he goes up to the jeweler, and just uh, the jeweler says, well, yes, sir, and he says, I would like to buy a special gift for my young lady friend here, and uh, show me what you have. Yes, well, yes, of course, sir, and he takes out a really nice ring right from the case there, and he says, uh, this is a wonderful gift, sir, if I may say, and it's uh, it's a little expensive. It's $5,000. And uh, the gentleman holds his hand up and says, you know what? I want something more special than this. I want something really, really, really special. And the the, the jeweler is, well, he's, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And he says, uh, he uh, just, uh, you know, takes him into the back room and shows him something right there. And he says, now come out. And he go, well, they walk back out to the girlfriend there. And uh, he says, if I may say, he takes uh, this thing out of a box and it's, Folks, it's just unbelievable. It's so gorgeous. It's not only another ring, but it can be used as a pendant. And it's so beautifully made with so many jewels on it. He said, the jeweler says to him, now this one, sir, is $40,000. And the elderly man says, uh, looks at his girlfriend and says to the jeweler, you know what? I'll take it. And uh, he says, uh, when the girlfriend is just, oh, Oh, she's just falling all over herself. And the elderly man says, I'll tell you what, because I know that there are, well, with large amounts of money, there's always some question about where it comes from. And so what I'll do is I'll write you a personal check right now. And it's a Friday afternoon. And he says, I'll tell you what, I'll give you the check right now. And you you hold on to that beautiful piece, would you please? And uh, I'm buying it. And on Monday morning, call the bank first thing. And they'll tell you what, how much money I have. And then, then you call me and I'll come right by and get it. Yes, sir. And uh, the elderly man and his girlfriend walk out. And well, that's quite a Friday afternoon in any business. Comes Monday morning. Well, next thing you know, it's Monday morning, mid morning. And the jeweler calls the elderly man. And he's a little annoyed. The jeweler says to him, I must say, sir, that there's, well, th th this, this is frankly shocking and, and horrible that I, I called that bank and they said they've never heard of you and you have no money there at all. And the elderly man says to him, I know, but let me tell you about my weekend. <laughs> Well, we thought that was pretty funny, and I hope you do too. So pass that along. It's it's actually kind of from an old school of... I never understood what it meant when the first office I had in the uh, 
Well, in the television business, where I was writing a show for myself, and it was at a big studio in, in Century City out here in, well, in Hollywoodland in Southern California. And uh, there was a, a desk with a my assistant outside my office there. This is all pretty official. And I never said to my wife, I remember on the phone, I said, uh, she said, well, how's the office? How's it look? And I said, well, good. Come on. In fact, come on by later. And then I can chase you around your desk because I said that my assistant will be gone by then. And, but I realized it hit me and my wife and I chuckled over that. And I, re I realized I don't even know what that means. I think that's been a, cliche or a stereotype for a long time, for decades, maybe centuries, maybe forever. And then the guy chases her around the desk. And that's supposed to be sexual, I guess. <laughs> and he's a little chubby and has white hair. And she's it's like the last joke. And she's young and blonde. But I don't know what quite the, that means that so, and I said to my wife over the phone, so when I, if I catch you, and I assume I'm going to catch you, what do we do then? Do I, do we hold hands? Do would we sit down on the couch and start making out? I don't know what that means exactly. Do I give up? Do I just, do you give up? Does everyone just give up? To what? I still don't know. In any case, though, that brings me to my second favorite part of the show. The Poetry Corner. <laughs> I think I'd be coughing like that if I ever chased anyone around a desk, but I don't. If you know, by the way, do that. Send it, send it to us here. Send a note saying, here's where that comes from. The guy chasing her around the desk, or what you're supposed to mean and what you're supposed to do. Isn't it, isn't it wonderful as two worldly sophisticated men like Colonel Jeff and myself don't actually know? We'd like your help on that. This is a wonderful poem to offer you. It's by Ralph Waldo Emerson, and I've read from him before. What a great 19th century American writer and poet and speaker he was. And this is called Alfonso of Castile. Alfonso live and learn, seeing nature go astern. Things deteriorate in kind, lemons run to leaves and rind. Meager crop of figs and limes, shorter days and harder times. Flowering April cools and dies in the insufficient skies. Imps at high midsummer blot half the sun's disk with a spot. Twill not now avail to tan orange cheek or skin of man. Roses bleach, the goats are dry, Lisbon quakes, the people cry. Yon pale scrawny fisher fools gaunt as bitterns in the pools, are no brothers of my blood. They discredit Adamhood. Eyes of gods, ye must have seen, or your ramparts as ye lean, the general debility of genius the sterility, 
mighty projects countermanded, rash ambition broken-handed, puny man and scentless rose, tormenting pan to double the dose, rebuild or ruin, either fill of vital force the wasted rill, or tumble all again in heap to weltering chaos and to sleep. Say, seniors, are the old Niles dry, which fed the veins of earth and sky, that mortals missed the loyal heats, which drove them erst to social feats? Now, to a savage selfless groan, think nature barely serves for one, with science poorly mask their hurt, and vex the gods with question pert immensely curious whether you still are rulers or mildew masters i'm in pain with you masters i'll be plain with you in my palace of castile i a king for kings can feel there my thoughts the matter roll and solve and oft resolve the whole and for I'm styled Alphonse the Wise, ye shall not fail for sound advice. Before ye want a drop of rain, hear the sentiment of Spain. You have tried famine, no more try it. Ply us now with a full diet. Teach your pupils now with plenty, for one son supply us twenty. I have thought it thoroughly over state of hermit, state of lover. We must have society. We cannot spare variety. Hear you then, celestial fellows, fits not to be overzealous, steads not to work on the clean jump, nor wine nor brains perpetual pump. Men and gods are too extents, could you slacken and condense your rank overgrowths reduce till your kinds abound with juice earth crowded cries too many men my counsel is kill nine in ten and bestow the shares of all on the remnant decimal add their nine lives to this cat stuff their nine brains in his hat make his frame and forces square with the labors he must dare thatch his flesh and even his years with the marble which he rears there growing slowly old at ease no faster than his planted trees he may by warrant of his age in schemes of broader scope engage so shall ye have a man of the sphere fit to grace the solar year boy that emerson could write couldn't he he could folks and uh you know what that was alfonso of castile by ralph waldo emerson and it was a good joke too that <laughs> i know but let me tell you about my weekend and that brings me to my third favorite part of the show. M 
MMM, the magic movie moment. Well, I mentioned taking a kid to college, taking one of your kids to college. And I'll tie that in in today's anecdote. But that's one of the reasons I chose this movie for today. And Colonel Jeff agreed. It's called Rudy from 1993, a wonderful movie starring Sean Astin. What a cast. Ned Beatty, John Favreau, and so many others. This is this is dozens of great, great actors. Robert Prosky is in this. It's, oh, it's just wonderful. It, and you know what? This is about, well, Sean Astin plays Rudy. This is a true story, folks. This is... This is about Daniel Rudiker, who was nicknamed Rudy his whole life, more or less. And he wants to play football at Notre Dame. He was a great football player in the small town he grew up. And, well, he wasn't big enough to, everyone said, you're just not big enough to play college football. He's about 5'6". Uh, and he just didn't give up, and he really wanted to play at Rudy. This is this is a great movie. See it sometime, folks. It'll make you feel wonderful. And I had a chance to work with Sean Astin, by the way. Oh, what a cast. Good Lord. In a movie called The Final Season with Powers Booth and Sean Astin and me. And you know what? The terrific cast. See that sometime. The Final Season. But Rudy, the movie Rudy, see it as soon as you can. And he 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 does, he accomplishes what he wants. And the story of how he gets to go to, well, Blessed Sacrament, a smaller college near Notre Dame, because they didn't take him at first. And he finally gets in to Notre Dame after four tries, after two years at Blessed Sacrament, after four tries to get in four more applications he finally gets in and one of the coaches he goes on to, to, to the football team to sign up for football and the well everyone's telling him again you know what you're not right for football you're too small one of the coaches really liked him and he gets on the practice squad it's a very tough job by the way they, they work the team out the team all the starters play in their practice sessions against, well, the team Rudy was put on. And they play hard. And Rudy never gave up. He was there every single day. And sometimes the other football players, the so-called real football players, got mad at him. for, And the coaches got mad at the football players then saying, you know what? Why don't you fight like him? If one of you fought like Rudy, we'd, we'd never lose a game for the rest of our lives. And it gets to a point where as his, well, as his student years end and he's at the end of the season, the end of the final season, and he's never given up, even when he wanted to give up. And you know what? All the other football players are on his side now, and they want him to put a uniform on and run out with the team. And you can't just do that. That's not something that just happens with the snap of the fingers. And you know what? And that's not just something that happens with the snap of your fingers. And 
folks, it's a wonderful part of a wonderful story. And sure enough, they let him come out first with the rest of the team. And even at 5-6, you know what? They all come running out of that locker room at home, at Notre Dame, on the field. And everyone is cheering. It's, it's wonderful. It's a great, great moment. And the coach at that point, Eric Parsegian had, uh, had called it quits. He, what a career he had there. And it was Dan Devine, who used to be an assistant coach at Green Bay. And you know what comes near the end of the game? And they're winning. Notre Dame is winning. And everyone is saying, come on, put him in for crying out loud. He won't get mentioned in the programs. He won't get in any of the portraits. He won't get his photograph taken for anything if he doesn't get into a game. And now it's the end of the last game. And he's graduating anyway. Come on, come on. And you know what? Well, it's not giving anything away to know because it's a true story. He gets in the game. He finally gets in the game at Notre Dame at the very end of the game. And there's, oh, there's like 20 seconds left. And he gets in the game. He can't believe it. No one can believe it. Everyone cheers. He goes out there and he makes three plays. He's in for three plays, not just one. And he makes a tackle into the backfield there of the other team. He makes an extraordinary play. And after having made that one play, he starts to look to his bench and he takes a few steps out. He holds his hand out. What do I do now? And they're all yelling at him. Stay in. Stay in. Get back. Go back. Get back in the game. Get get back in the game. And he does. He gets back in the game, plays two more plays. Oh, and he, folks, the team did something they've never done before. They all carried him off the field. And that doesn't just happen at Notre Dame. That's something else that doesn't just happen because you think it might be nice. It's a great magic movie moment with him getting in the game and then making a play and then holding his hands out, what do I do now? And as great as he was, as hard as he worked, as committed as he was, and then to them saying with smiles, get in, stay in, go in. It's a wonderful movie, folks. It was great working with Sean Astin. He has that heart, too. Rudy from 1993. Do yourselves a favor. If you've never seen it, oh, see it soon. And if you've seen it 50 times, see it again. Also very, very soon. You know what, though? And that's frankly why, as I said, I wanted to do something. I looked for something in the movie about college because... We, our youngest son, went off to college last week. And he got there because my wife and I took him. And we flew uh, nicely. It's a few states away. It's a nice place with mountains. and It's a good-looking place. And uh, But I have to tell you, folks, it was very moving. Because moving him into his freshman room with two roommates two other fellas, and it was very interesting to me because seeing the other fathers there, like me, and, you know, I wanted to say to one one of the fathers at one point, you know, just kind of uh, strolled out of the room, and uh, his his son's stuff had already been moved in or was still in the middle of that, 
and uh, the kid's dad thought it was time to, well, stroll out. They didn't, by the way, in these rooms. For the record, no air conditioning, no fans, no units of any kind. It's pretty hot there on the fourth floor, and no elevators. These are walk-ups. That's all right. It's not great. It's not what you want. But when this kid's father walked out, you know, as we were saying goodbye, he said, I'm sorry my dad wasn't here to say goodbye. And I said, listen, let me tell you something. Your father gets my respect for the rest of his life. He's the only guy who really knew what a father was supposed to do at a moment like this. He left. That's the only thing that really counts. You know what? It's hot. It's crowded. All the underwear is put into the new dresser. Time to leave. It doesn't mean he's driving away. It means, let me get out of this place and go down and get myself a Coke in the cafeteria down there. So tell him it was a pleasure to meet him, and I learned a lesson. And folks, something happened, though, that's absolutely true, and at the end of the whole visit, after moving him in and doing all this, and it's so hot out there, and... This has happened to me everywhere I've gone, but it had been, oh, it's been four years or five years already now. The mascot of the school in the big, giant, thick costume, the one thing they all have. So they're, uh, the costume with the, uh, it makes him about six foot, six foot four, something like that. And he comes over and he's, it's, you know what a mascot is, and you know what they wear. He comes over to me, we're out front of the dorm. So it's my wife, my son, and me, and it's really hot. And he comes over to me, and he reaches his right paw out for my head. Because everywhere I've gone, I'm telling you, Legoland, Disneyland, it doesn't matter what, any kind of anything that ends with land, any park you've ever gone to, the mascot in the costume comes over to rub the head of the bald man. That's exactly what they do. And I don't mean sometimes or, gee, a lot of the time, every single time. It's the only joke they have. They all share it. They all do it. They all learn it somehow when they go to mascot school, whatever they go to. Someone's going to tell them, rub the head. This guy reached out the paw to rub the head of the bald man, which was me. And, folks, I snapped. I had carted up too many freshman trunks, and it was too hot, and it didn't matter. It could have been a very nice day. It doesn't matter. But he reached that paw out, and it, well, it hit me like a paw. I just, he before he touched my head, and that's where he was going, I just, I shouted, no, no, you don't. You, and he, it really made him shake a little, too. Everyone there kind of turned around. I just said, oh, I know what you're doing. Because it happens every park I've gone to. You want to rub the head of the bald man. It's the only joke you have. It's the only joke all you guys do. Every moron in a costume wants to rub the head of the bald man. And then, folks, I'm telling you, it's happened every time. After they do that, they then step back, put the both paws on their own tummies, and shake and silently laugh. As if, well, that's what they're doing. Ha, 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 but without making a sound. And then to make it up to you somehow, whatever the it is, then they reach out 
the right paw as showing you that, you know, oh, let's shake. You know, as long as we shake, hey, and then it was just a joke. But I didn't shake. I didn't shake because my wife and kid and I were about to go out to get a bite. It doesn't matter where we were going to go. And I just said, no, again, no, I don't want you to rub the bald man's head. I don't want you to rub my head. And I'm not going to shake hands with you as if, well, what a terrific fellow you are. I think you're an idiot. And then I sort of left it there, and he did. Oh, he was all right. He did like he he pretended to faint into a trash basket that was right there by the lemonade stand. Remember, it's, it's a college freshman dorm. But you know what? And all right, fine. You know what? Fine. But no, I've turned the corner on that. No, do not rub the bald man's head. And then laugh silently. So that wraps the whole story up for me. I love my kids. I love what they have the the guts to do and to make for themselves. But I do not want the bald man's head rubbed. You know that and I know that. And we know the same things. Homer is Homer. Pluto is a planet. And so remember, as always... If you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. So take care and don't rub the bald man's head. <laughs>